we good? There we go. Amen. How many of you are excited for the new year coming? Come on, tell the truth. Shame the devil. You're excited for the new year. How many of you are excited that this year is almost over? Okay, I see some people happy for that too. Sometimes we're happy for the new year because this old year has been a tough year. Amen. And sometimes we're just happy and excited because we know uh, and we look forward to uh, the new year. We look forward with hope. We look forward with promise to what God will do in the new year. Uh, why don't we, I know I just had you sit down, but let's stand up again. I'm sorry. And we're going to read the word of God together. We're looking at Revelation 21 verses 1 through 8 that we'll read together today. So let's read that in the Lord's hearing. Let's read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their, hallelujah. He will wipe every tear, let's keep reading, every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah again. I just can't read this without some hallelujahs. Let's pick it up in verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for the word trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the good news of your word, the great news of your word, that you are making all things new, and that nothing and no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth can stop your hand. You are at work, and you will be glorified in all of your creation. We thank you, Lord God, for this blessed hope, and this hope is in the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, even Jesus who is the Christ. So, Lord, I pray in the coming moments that you will make your word clear to our hearts, and, Lord, do the work that only you can do by your word and by your Holy Spirit. Be glorified in all these things, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. 
Well, I hope that people are excited about a new year coming, a new year, and not only a new year, but as my granddaughter uh, told me, it's also a new decade, amen? So we got a new decade coming as well, and, and we should be excited about that, and I hope that for many, we're living with great hope for what is to come, living, believing, and holding on to the promises of God that he will accomplish all that he has promised, and he will do all that he has promised to do. Now, for many of us, as I, I was joking before, that uh, some of us, are, are, our excitement for the new year is because it ain't this year, amen? Because for some people, this has been a rough year. You've gone through a lot of hard things, and, and as we as believers look towards God making all things new, that is the wonderful and blessed promise of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. He is at one time going to come and he will comprehensively make everything new. Amen? Everything means everything. I'm not as good of an exegete as Pam is, as she was knocking down what, what, what victory means, but sister, you gave me a sermon idea. He is God of the etc. Amen. He is God of everything. You can't name it all. He's the etc. God. Amen. He is going to make everything new. Everything will be back in place in a way that God will look at it all and say it's very good. Now we know in the original creation, at the end of creation, God looked at all he created and said it is very good. It's very good. But you know what? This very good is going to be even better. It's going to be even better than Eden was because this very good, this new good, this new creation will not only be very good, but it will be indestructibly and eternally good with no possibility of ever being jacked up again. Amen? We're not going to have an Adam and an Eve that say, oops. That's not going to happen in the new creation. In the new creation, every enemy is defeated. All opposing forces are destroyed. God reigns in perfection along with a perfected humanity who will reign and rule under God and carry out his will. Brothers and sisters, if you know Christ, that's what you have to look forward to. But I want to look at this passage of scripture in Revelation 21 today, and as we do, I want to think about what God, I want you to think about what God is doing in your life, what new creation means to you, and also what new creation means to us as a church, moving into a new year and a new decade. We are moving forward as a church at New Life with clarity that this church is absolutely 100% committed to reaching younger generations for Jesus Christ. Somebody should say amen to that. I heard a couple amens, but we ought to get some more. We're totally committed to reaching younger generations for Christ. We're also totally committed to becoming a majority-minority church. What does that mean? That means that we're committed to becoming a church that better reflects 
the awesome diversity that God has blessed us with in this part of our city. We are committed to that from the leadership of the church on down so that more and more and more of our neighbors can find Jesus right here and can grow in the amazing grace of Christ and see their lives gloriously transformed. That's what we're looking for in 2020 and beyond as we move forward and believe in God's new creation. So I want to go to the scriptures here today again as we're looking at Revelation 21 and unpack the scriptures a bit. There are three major points I want to make about what this new creation is. The first of all is, the first one is the wonder of new creation. Verses 1 and 2 and verse 4, but starting with verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The wonder of the new creation, first of all, means that the new cannot come without the old passing away. Amen? Amen? For God to come in fullness and in newness, what is old has to pass away. There has to be a changing of the guard. There are some things that need to get out of the way in order for God to come in his newness and in his fullness. Let me explain it to you this way. Most of you know that we had a couple of grandchildren born in the last few months. And uh, our, our grandson, Soren, who is three years old, was struggling with the idea of not being the man anymore. He was struggling with the idea of another grandchild coming in and kicking him out of his place as the youngest, the most wonderful, the one to be adored. And so at one point, uh, Soren had a conversation with his dad, and it went something like this. Because, see, Soren likes to get up in the middle of the night and go into his parents' bedroom and go between mommy and daddy and be right in the middle. And so he asks his daddy, when, when, when the baby comes, daddy, am I going to be able to get in the middle? And, da- and I don't know if this is good parenting or not, but, but daddy said, no, Soren, you're not. And Soren lost it. I mean, he cried and wailed from the, the, the bowels of his being. He just lost it and he cried and wailed because the new baby's coming. And you know what happens now with the new baby there? Soren wakes up in the middle of the night and he goes between mom and dad and he's still right there. There may be another one there or not, but he, he comes in anyway. But, but just hearing about that things are going to change, there's going to be a difference here. He struggled with that. I remember one of my favorite movies, I've talked about it before, Toy Story, the first one. Amen. The original Toy Story. And in Toy Story, you know, Woody is struggling because Buzz Lightyear has come and now he is the new favorite toy. And one of the things that 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 Woody says is there ain't room in this town for the both of us. Amen. When the new comes, something has to change. And that that is always true. That is always true. And that will be true in your life. It will be true in the church as well, in the life of the church. There are some things that need to move out of the way so that newness and fullness of God can come in and make all things new. At the end of this verse, it says, and there was no longer any sea. The sea 
was done away with. The sea in the Bible often represents chaos. It, it, it represents the work of the enemy. Even from Genesis 1-1, the scripture says that, that it was the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. There is this imagery of the sea as this dark and difficult place where chaos rules, where evil spirits rule. We see it as you go through the Old Testament. In Job, we see Leviathan, the great sea monsters in the sea. And it's interesting in the New Testament, uh, as you read through the four Gospels, now there are a few things that are in all the Gospels. Obviously, they are all the story of the death and resurrection of Christ. So those immediate events around the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ are in all four Gospels. But there's not a lot of other stories. Even the birth narratives are only in two. But one of the things that is in all four Gospels is Jesus walking on the water. Jesus overcoming the, the, the chaos of the sea and proclaiming, I am the ruler of the sea. And so when it says there's no longer any sea, it means that God will now rule over all of the chaos. So here's the question for us today to ask. Are you willing to allow old things to die in order for the new to come? That's a very personal question that you need to ask yourself. What is it perhaps that God is ushering out of my life so that he can come in more fullness, in more glory, in more majesty in my life. What needs to die in order that God may live more fully? It is Ephesians 4.22. Put off the old and put on the new in Christ. And we ask that as well on uh, the, the, the level of our church and congregation as we are committing ourselves to reaching younger generations for Christ, there's going to have to be some change. There's going to have to be some difference. And some old things are going to have to die so that the new can live. And so that's where we're moving. In this wonder of new creation, there is, first of all, a necessary death. But secondly, I want you to see that there is also a heavenly invasion that happens in the new creation. Look at verse 2. I saw... The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There is this heavenly city that comes, this new Jerusalem. The idea of newness there is not that something is new in terms of time. It's not Johnny on the spot. This is a brand new thing. The idea of newness deals with the quality of the thing. It deals with the kind of thing that we're talking about. And so the scripture says, first of all, this heavenly invasion, there is a new Jerusalem coming from heaven that has been beautifully prepared for the people of God. This is God coming, dressed in all the newness and beauty and perfection that is who God is. But here's the beautiful thing about it as well. As much as it is new, it still corresponds with the old. Amen? He says the new Jerusalem. So how would we know anything about the new Jerusalem if we don't understand something about the old Jerusalem? 
Jerusalem was the place that God set up for his people to rule and be king. Jerusalem was the place where the presence of God dwelt. Jerusalem was the place of prophets, of priests, and of kings to the Lord. But the earthly Jerusalem, though it had prophets, priests, and kings, they all failed in many ways. Even the best of the kings were still jacked up. Amen? David, the great king that we look back to, David, the great king, you know some of his sins, right? Adultery and murder and lack of faith in counting all the people when God said, don't count your warriors. He had many errors and many sins and many issues. But this new Jerusalem is coming with a new king who has no imperfections at all. King Jesus will rule. So we're looking at the wonder of new creation. We're looking at the fact that there is necessary death and there is a heavenly invasion that comes. But not only that, look at verse 4 with me. Here is the great wonder of this new creation. The great wonder is a tearless eternity. Amen? A tearless eternity. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Someone ought to get happy right there. That's what God has in store for you and for you and even people in the balcony, even in the back of the balcony. God has that in store for you if you give your heart to Jesus Christ. A place with no more tears, no more woes, no more death, no more pain, no more struggle. This is the tearless eternity that God has for us. Now, here's the wonder of it. Now, many of us know as parents... When you have a little one and you see your child, whether they're little or even if they're older or even if they're adults, and and you may see your child struggling and in pain, and you just want to hold them close. You want to wipe away every tear from their eyes. You want to do that as a parent. And you want to tell them, come here, come here, baby. It's going to be all right. That bully's not going to bully you anymore. That, that thing that's been happening to you, I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen to you anymore. That, that, that cold or that sickness that you're going through, we're going to make it all better. We promise all those things and we do so out of the goodness of our hearts as parents. But at the end of the day, we can't stop bad things happening to our children. We do it because we love them. We want to comfort them. We want to give them hope. And we should do that. But at the end of the day, our promises, we can't really back those fully up. But listen, when God comes, you can hit the next slide. When God comes to us, he does not come simply with words of mere hope. He doesn't come with wishful thinking. God doesn't even come to us with a a sincere resolve to do right. God comes in completeness, in power, and in authority. And when he says, it's going to be all right, baby, you can bet on it, it will be all right. When God comes and says, I'll wipe away every tear from your eyes, there will be no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, no more trial. He means it. He will bring it to pass. He can do it, and he will do it. 
So not only do we look at the wonder of the new creation, but starting in verse 3, I want to look as well at the center of new creation. Look at verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And he and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. What is so drastically and radically different between the old creation order, the creation order we're living in now, and the new creation order? What is so drastically different? What it is is simply this, the manifest presence of God living among his people. That is the radical difference. So if we look at the old creation order, first of all, the Old Testament economy. In the Old Testament, we have first the tabernacle, and then we have the temple. And with the temple, you have an outer court, you have an inner court or a holy place, and then you have the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in this Old Testament economy, it's centered finally around Jerusalem and the temple of God. And this is the place where the presence of God dwells. And he is, he dwells in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. He's guarded by this great temple structure. And between the holy place and the most holy place, there is this curtain that only the high priest can go into and only once a year. So the people don't have full access to the presence of God in this way for their own good, because they would be destroyed because of their sin. And yet, here we have this beautiful picture of God dwelling in the midst of his people, and yet, and yet, there's not fullness of access. But the New Testament economy changes that. In the New Testament economy, eventually the temple itself is destroyed, but Christ dies in our place. Christ is risen from the dead. Christ ascends to God and he pours out the Holy Spirit, God himself, on his people. And he says that you are now the dwelling place of the Most High. You are living stones in the temple of the living God. God lives in you. God wants to be glorified through your life. You don't have to go to Jerusalem, to a temple, to a building. The church is not this building on D and Roosevelt Boulevard. The church is the people of God. And he dwells in us. That's the beautiful reality of New Testament creation. But that still falls short, if we'll be honest with ourselves. It's a beautiful idea. It's an awesome idea. But like the Old Testament, it's still inconsistent and we are often an inconsistent witness and a confusing witness of the Lord's goodness, of his holiness, of his righteousness, of his justice, and of his beauty. Honestly, if today's church is the bride of Christ, it's a divided bride. In many ways, it's a broken body of Christ. We don't represent him nearly as well as we wish we could. 
And people are looking that the church can't even agree on what holiness is. The church in today's age can't agree many times on what righteousness is. There is division in the church. That's one of the reasons we pray today for unity in the big C church, but also unity among us as believers right here at New Life Church. We look in all kind of ways to see um, the, the Lord glorified, and many times we look to the wrong types of saviors. We can look to political saviors, and whenever we do that, whether you're on the right, the left, in the middle, wherever you are, if you're looking for a political savior, you'll end up with compromised convictions that present to the world a grotesque caricature of Jesus. In the end, if we're looking for political saviors, we're going to lead people away from Christ because we'll compromise on the true message of who he is and what he represents. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. There is no other. Finally, when we look in the new creation economy, it's not a building. It's not a person. It's not a group of people who are on a journey of sanctification, but the New Testament creation economy is the visible, tangible, manifest presence of God himself, completely unfiltered, that stands in the center, and we are all around this manifest presence of the living God. Now, you and I could not stand there clothed as we currently are, but here's the beauty of new creation, we get brand new redeemed bodies. And with those redeemed bodies that we receive, there is no more sin, there is no more desire for sin, there is nothing in us that that would not allow us to be in the presence of God and simply receive his blessing. Amen? We do not receive anything but the blessing of God as we stand in the new creation order. I want you to look at verses 5 and 6 here as well. Verses 5 and 6. The scripture says, And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning And the end to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In the New Testament economy, it is Jesus Christ himself who is in the midst on the throne and in the midst of his people. These very same words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, are in the beginning of the book of Revelation in chapter 1 when he is declaring this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we look at the book of Revelation, many times people get caught up in numbers and they get caught up in trying to figure out dates and what's going to happen when and all of this. But this book of Revelation is an apocalypse. It is a form of literature that is to give hope 
to people in the midst of crisis. So it is written in the first century and gives hope to the persecuted church, but is it written for us as well and should give us hope. And what is the hope that the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, Jesus Christ sits on the throne now and will forever sit on that throne. And nothing and no one will stop him. All of those who are thirsty for him. Not those who are thirsty for earthly comfort. Not thirsty for political gain or power. Not thirsty for economic prosperity. Not thirsty for popularity or acceptance or the maintenance of a self-propagating status quo. But those who are thirsty for true righteousness, those who thirst for the unfiltered and uncompromised righteousness of Jesus Christ, those who thirst for him will be blessed and loved forever. And they will receive the remedy for their thirst without cost from the spring of water that comes from God. See, God is not going to drop you out a little bit of thirst-quenching spiritual Gatorade. That's not what you need. What you need is a a never-ending, ever-flowing, powerful stream of the blessing of God. And that is what he gives to quench the the thirst of all those who believe in him. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Brothers and sisters, when you put your hope in Jesus, he will satisfy you like nothing in this world ever could or ever would. And this is why he calls us to thirst after him. And so here's the question with this section. What are you really thirsty for? That's a question that we have to answer for ourselves. What am I really thirsty for in this life? Is it winning? That, that's a word I hear used a lot. I just need a win. I, I need a win right now. I've been struggling. I've been m- losing here and here and here. I just need a win right now. I, I'm thirsty for a win. I get that. I feel that many times. Is it thirsty for prosperity? Is it for a political victory? Is it for popularity? Is it for status? What are you thirsty for? God says, I want to do a work on your taste buds. I want your taste buds to not be satisfied with anything but me. Amen? That doesn't mean we can't have some other good things in life, but it does mean that our primary thirst and desire is for the righteousness of God in Christ to be manifested in and through us. And when that is the case, he promises that you will be satisfied. Let me look at the last piece of this today, the way of new creation, the way of new creation. And reading again, verses 7 and 8, he said to me, Let me start at verse 7. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. Tell someone else, you're going to inherit all this. You're going to inherit all this, he says. And I will be their God. And they 
will be my children. Verse 8 is a hard verse. He says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving and the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. What is the way of new creation? According to this text, in verse 7, he says, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. The way of new creation is eschatological, final, and complete victory. And that victory is in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing about this kind of victory. It's not achieved in the way we often think of victory being achieved. It's achieved through suffering, through death, and through resurrection. We see that in Jesus. Jesus didn't wink his way to victory, right? Jesus didn't just say, you know what, Father, let my will be done, not yours, but In Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. He didn't wink and say, just forgive them all, Lord. I don't need to go through all of this, Father. But he went the way of death. He went the way of suffering. He went the way of resurrection. Jesus' victory came through seeing every human evil, every steam of evil in this world, all the spiritual forces of wickedness, looking at them eyeball to eyeball and experiencing the fullness of that wickedness in his broken body. More than that, he experienced what we will never be able to fathom or imagine in our minds. This eternal second person of the Trinity was now in broken relationship with the Father as his Father turned his face away and poured out all of his divine wrath on the Son on that cross. The wrath that you deserve and you deserve and I deserve was poured out on Jesus in that moment. That was the way of victory? Yes, it was. Because on the third day, hallelujah, he got up from the grave All the demons in hell couldn't keep him down. Jesus got up and he has victory forever for us. And the way of victory is not what this world sees, but it is the way of being one who will give yourself to Christ courageously. I don't think that it's a mistake that in this text, in verse 8, when he talks about those who are not followers of Christ, those who are not among the victors, that the first word he uses is the cowardly. He says, but the cowardly, and he goes on, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and other things. He goes on into all of this, but he starts with this idea of the cowardly. I think many times we feel like we have this picture of Jesus the meek and the mild one. If that's your only picture of Jesus, please don't read the book of Revelation. Amen? Because there's another picture of Jesus. He is the reigning king. He is the mighty king. He is the one who comes with a two-edged sword. He is the one who divides 
And he is the one who is the great judge. This is Jesus as he's portrayed in this word. Is he meek? Is he mild? Yes, he is at the right time in the right way. Is he fierce? Is he a warrior? Is he the great judge of all the earth? Yes, he is as well. And so the scripture says that the cowardly and the unbelieving and the vile, among other things, they compromise God for the sake of earthly gain, and they are excluded by God from the new creation. They're judged by God. Brothers and sisters, you can go to the next slide. As our culture runs headlong away from biblical Christianity, and I don't think there are many people who would disagree with me that our culture is not heading towards Christ. It's heading away from biblical Christianity. But it will not be a watered-down and compromised version of Christianity that will lead the way to revival. It won't be one that compromises with various sides in order to appease. That is the way of the cowardly. It will be a robust, Jesus-centered, people-loving, creation-respecting Christianity that does not waver from God's word even when the current system, what Carl Ellis calls Christianity-ism, does not approve. He is coming back and revival will be led not by those who compromise to make everybody like them, then you look nothing like Christ, but those who stand up for the word of God in all its fullness and truth. For those who are new creation believers sold out to Jesus in spite of our human fears. Doesn't mean that you don't fear. It means that you, in spite of your fear, you stand up for Jesus. You decide to live for him, to speak for him, to love consistently in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me finish up with this today as I get ready to close. Is anybody excited Anybody here excited about Jesus making all things new? Amen? I'm glad you are. He is the center of new creation. He's the way of new creation. And he is the wonder of new creation. And I pray that as we enter into 2020, you would not only be excited about Jesus making all things new, but that you would also be excited about your part in bringing about the new creation. God has a part for you and for me and for each one who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus invites you to be a part of the courageous, overcoming, subversive army that brings about new creation. Entering new creation and ushering in God's new creation is not for nice but spineless people who are committed to avoiding conflict. We saw that in emotionally healthy spirituality, amen? We can't even do that in our own homes or relationships. We have to stand up for truth. We're not those who make false peace, but we speak the truth in love to bring real peace. It's on every page of the scripture that we are not those who avoid conflict, but we move forward in Christ. And every agent of new creation must take on a Jesus centered, militant mindset. Jesus' love will 
conquer all. I'm looking for an army of people here at New Life that says, I'm in for that. I'm in for looking for people who are so committed to reaching the next generations that uh, that our preferences, our power, and our position take a huge back seat to anything that God is doing that will reach those generations. Who's in for that? Amen. I hope we're in for that. We're in for that. New creation is coming. Jesus makes all things new, and he calls us to be his agents of bringing that about. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We ask, oh God, that you will powerfully use us. Lord, we know our brokenness. We know our messiness. We know our struggles. But Lord, we pray that you will bring new creation in us. That you will sanctify us more, make us more like Jesus. Where we are broken, bring your healing. Where we don't reflect you well, Lord God, let us be a mirror that reflects our God better and better. And Lord, together I pray that you will use New Life Church to be a place where new generations come in and feel and know and sense the welcome and the love of God where many give their lives to Christ where they are built up in their faith, where they grow and are transformed to be more and more like Jesus. Lord, make this a place that reflects this part of the city that you put us in, where there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation under the sun that glorify you in this place. Father, have your way. We look forward to this new year, this new decade, this new time. Lord, make all things new and glorify your name, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.